Welcome to episode 12 of All Car Radio, the All Car Leasing Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to take a look at German cars and the stereotypes surrounding them about being the most reliable, the best cars in general. Obviously, there is no right or wrong answer. In general, it's a stereotype. It's people's opinions. Uh, people driving non-German cars will probably say that they, uh, their own car or the brand that they like is the best, whereas people who have always had German cars will always say that the German cars are the best. But we've done a quite a, an extensive blog post, or rather Chris has, was back from annual leave. No, I get to be back. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to go through the blog post in, in this podcast formula and taking a look at, you know, where where's the stereotype come from? Um, is the stereotype founded? Um, and so on. So um, I think with, with Chris being the one that wrote the blog post, uh, if you want to kick us off. I wanted to write this for quite a while, actually. I think we all did, actually, when, when we were discussing what topics to, to do next on the on the blog this was one of them and it was just that you were lucky to be picked out of the hat for it yeah it's a genuinely interesting subject because you just hear it all the time like i've got a mate who always says oh mercedes man through and through me we've changed his mind since then he's got a high hyundai as well yeah. but when people talk about cars the line you hear over and over again is that german cars are best like and german cars seem to be pulled together uh, and they almost disagree, the individual individual uh, sorry manufacturers, and they're like, oh, for my next car, I want a German, or our next car, you know, I want to get w- one of the new Korean cars, you know, Hyundai and all the rest of it. So German just being applied to the brand boosts it up, and it they don't care which brand from yeah, Germany. It's just synonymous with being good, and people just recognise that now, don't they? So it's like in today. German cars are just a benchmark for what a good car is. Yeah, and it's a benchmark. Well, is it set by the customers? Is it set by people like us, the leasing companies, the car, new car dealers? Or is it set by the actual manufacturers themselves? And the reason I, I say that is, do you remember that Golf advert from a few, uh, well, way more than a decade now? Um, like a Golf. Yeah the, yeah, the Volkswagen Golf advert, where um, they were parodying uh, a used car dealership where the salesman was closing the door and said, yeah, look at that, sounds just like a Golf. So now if you don't buy a German car, well, obviously based on what that advert was trying to say is, you know, if you're not going to buy a German car, then the car needs to be as German as possible without being one. And it's just never going to compare. Well, in, in a lot of people's eyes, which is obviously, I don't want to stray too far from the subject we want to talk about, but is it right? Is German the benchmark, genuine benchmark, or is it in people's heads? So, Chris, with yourself being the one that wrote this blog and did all the research, I'm going to start by just, you know, in an interview style, ask you the first question then. Uh, from what you've gathered, have German cars always been the best? Well, looking at the hard facts, no, not really. Um, back in the 80s, people like Audi, who are just known for being one of the best now, um, in terms of interior quality, things like that, they were nowhere near as synonymous with quality as they were today. Yeah. Or as they are today, should I say. It's taken quite some time for them to set their bar. Whereas back then, BMW were busy creating things like the M3 and the M5. I think they were among the first models to have the kidney grills, which is a big part of their branding today. Yeah, I mean, BMW in particular have been pretty much in, in front of people's minds for a long time. And it could be argued that because, like I mentioned earlier, how the these German brands all get pulled together, if BMW and Mercedes are doing well, you know, Audi probably gets a little bit of that attention as well by just by association. And maybe that's how Audi managed to survive through the 80s. Mm. 
all of their advertising slogans are all written in German as well, which is a point that I mentioned later on in the podcast, but they must have carried that on through throughout the decades. As soon as they knew they were onto something and that, oh, Germans were, Germans are known for being best now, they just uh, kept with the advertising slogans. Was it Vorsprung-Dirt technique? Yeah. So what have you found, what kicked them off then? I think it was Group B rally mainly. Like, there's that, that iconic... It's the Audi Sport Quattro, it's the S1, mm, yeah. with that sort of white, yellow and orange livery. It sounded immense as well. It's one of the most famous rally cars of all time. Group B was really famous anyway, just because of how ridiculous it was. Um, but it was also the Italians that were competing with them back then. And obviously people glamorised the likes of Ferrari, um, maybe not Lancia as much, but they were obviously at the top of their game at the time. One of the interesting points that you, you've raised in the, in the blog post is uh, that you were more likely to see the likes of Ford Escorts and Vauxhall Cavaliers on the road. And I was born in 87, so I can't really comment on what cars were like in the 80s, but in the 90s, especially in the early 90s, uh, my memories of uh, the cars that my mum and dad drove, and in general I saw around, did t- seem to be Fords and Vauxhalls. Um, and not really the German brands, not often. It was almost quite rare to, to see them on the road. Yeah. Um, thinking back when I was a kid, I think I used to see lots of Citroën Saxos, uh, old Japanese, like Toyota Yaris's, things like that. Yeah, Ford Fiestas, you know, things like that. Or, or the old Nissan Micra. Yeah. That, that, that small boxy shape. It's obviously a lot bigger now. But, um, yeah, so you just never see Germans. Or, or if you saw a German car, you'd thought, oh, wow, that person probably got all our money. Yeah. Or really likes cars. Yeah. Or both. Yeah, so you mentioned Ford Escorts and Vauxhall Cavaliers. They dominated for quite some time over here, whereas the Germans sort of made something look drastically different, and that sort of led to people desiring them a bit more. Like their shape was a bit more square and haunch or somewhat sporty looking. And then, of course, they're associating them with the motorsports, the successes that they've been seeing. Yeah, definitely. Um, in the 80s and 90s, BMW and Audi and Mercedes started making some really iconic-looking cars which sort of started breaking the mould for the people who have always been used to the Fords and the Vauxhalls and the other mainstream. And there were a lot more British brands back then as well. So although I'm not going to get into this subject right now, the rise of Germans could also be linked to the demise of the British brands as well. So if if the Germans had less competition, um, then obviously they're they're going to be, uh, you know, more visible on the road. But, but, But yeah, I think the 80s in particular with Audi, they were starting to make their cars look iconic and the BMWs in particular they were just like wow like it, when you saw them on the road like oh instantly they were completely different it, yeah. and people possibly back then just wanted something different but obviously appearance isn't necessarily the best um, but what it did do is bring like styling to the forefront of what people wanted in a car yeah. like, I suppose they weren't exactly spot for choice back then anyway but now suddenly you've got a range of cars that actually look really nice, like objectively nice. Yeah. And then I suppose that was the birth of like the Russian doll effect that the Germans are known for. Each model in the range of a German manufacturer tends to have similarities. Every BMW has kidney grills. All Audis, you still look the same. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I find about styling, and it still exists today, is that um, the styling of the cat at the top end trickles down. So, for example, um, if you remember uh, Colin McRae's iconic Impreza, mm. um, the sales of just the regular Impreza went up. Obviously, it wasn't the same one. And I think 
motorsport in particular has a massive impact on the sales of the model right down to the bottom of the line. Yeah, so today I don't think that's the case anymore. I think there wasn't many car or as much variety to choose from back then. So models that you saw having huge success, you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm one of them. But today's day, cars are so modified by the time they enter competitions that it, I don't think it has that same effect anymore. Like I think Hyundai use like an i20 as a rally car, but so it doesn't make me want to buy an i20. Mm, yeah. Obviously there is no sporty i20 yet. I'm sure there's one coming soon. But looking back towards motorsport back then, or even now actually, Germany is pretty much home to some of the most famous racetracks in the world, if not the most per country, in my opinion, uh, including the Nürburgring. Uh, um, and the, the point about Nürburgring is, and, and there are some listeners who may laugh at this or they may uh, you know not like me saying it but obviously the point of this podcast and the blog is is german cars the best is it stereotype or is it fact and you'll notice on a lot of boy racer cars the courses the fiesta sts and all the rest of it that they put a nurburgring sticker on the back of it even though that car has never been anywhere near nurburgring but the reason behind that is because nurburgring itself is a seal of approval or a, or a badge or, you know, it's it's a positive. This car has associated with a German racetrack. They don't put Silverstone on there. Yeah. They don't put any other, but it's always Nürburgring. And I know it's obviously, it's a... It's a, it's a distinct will, sticker because the sticker is also the shape of the racetrack and that is also the racetrack's logo as well. Yeah. It's like a brand thing, isn't it? It's like putting K&N. Or something like that, or HKS on the side of your car. But it's almost like it's it's marketing, isn't it? You wouldn't be surprised if the marketing team over at Volkswagen are actually behind the Nurburgring campaign, because it um, you know accentu- accentuates. I don't know what the word is there. Um, Germany again, yeah. Which is the point that we're trying to make here. Germany has a positive uh, connotation wherever it is used in automotive. Yeah, absolutely, and. The Nürburgring as well, and it's famous for quite a few reasons. Obviously, it was glamorised a lot, but it was used a lot, and that was because of the ridiculously long straights, the carousels, the sharp corners. It's the longest circuit in existence, so it made an ideal home for like the, the German Grand Prix at the time during the uh, 60s, I think it was, uh, giving the circuit a lot of media attention, and it eventually, to this day, is still the testing ground for manufacturers to experiment with like prototype cars, facelift models, things like that. Mm. So whether it's a performance car or not, a lot of cars do end up getting tested there. And if it's a German manufacturer, chances are they probably will test it there anyway. Yeah, and I think people use stuff like that as a bit of a seal of approval. So when people are shopping around for Audis and stuff like that, people can say, oh, it's been tested on the Nürburgring. Whereas if you were to get a Ford or a Peugeot, it hasn't. So, you know, it's it's the German thing, isn't it? Again, uh, whether it's Volkswagen, Audi, Mercedes, it doesn't matter. It's it's German. Yeah, that's it's, all. It's people... part of being like proud of the brand of car that you've got as well. Yeah, like all the performance divisions have like a base of operations around there. Like BMW's M division, Mercedes AMG, Audi's Rennsport, I think it is. You know, they have the advantage when it comes to R and D as well compared to other non-German brands because they're based so close by. Yeah, but is it actually an advantage at all? Like, is testing the car on an Nurburgring? necessary or is it just a complete marketing ploy because really yes it's got some bends and stuff like that but like i mentioned earlier there are other racetracks japan is a is one of the most famous grand prix uh, america their automotive industry is absolutely massive 
So, you know, if, if they were to say that Ford's been around, you know, the same courses that he was in the Indy 500, is that essentially the same as the Nürburgring? Or the fact that, oh, we, well, Nürburgring's in Germany, German engineering and all the rest of it, so therefore it is better. What, what, honestly, what, what do you think? Is Nürburgring anything... I think you've got a good point there, to be honest, because a racetrack's a racetrack. If you throw in a car around a racetrack, then you're building it for that purpose, but they never get used to that purpose, or it's rare anyway. Yeah. Like, I, I probably wouldn't take my car around a racetrack. I mean, I'd be tempted yeah. to, but I just don't want to thrash it, because I've got to live with it. Yeah, I do agree, though, that Germany is the epicentre of the motoring world, um, because, obviously, currently the, the Formula 1 champions... Ah, Mercedes with with Lewis Hamilton, um, Audi and BMW and all the rest of it, to, you know, do all, always seems to do quite well in Le Mans and all the rest of it. Um, so, but I, I and I get that. But the engines that they use in obviously the um, in the motoring world don't go anywhere near um, UK cars. For example, the the S5 or or even the RS6 from from Audi, they are really fast cars. But that's not what they use. In motorsport, it's a it's a heavily tuned engine. Mm. So, do you think that motoring pedigree um, in the eighties, nineties, and all today that has helped their reputation? Do you think it actually matters? I don't know. I think it's a crutch they've used for a while now. Obviously, the Audi and stuff still and Porsche mainly have a lot of motorsport success today. But I just don't know if it matters in terms of selling a car anymore because Renault Sport, I think, have just released a new Megane. Mm. Um, but the ridiculous price tag of like 80 grand when you add all like the carbon fiber parts which make it the car that you want it's just it's not the racetrack or the history that makes people want to buy cars like that like sometimes it's the style but it's paper stats as well yeah i mean the the point or the the point i want to i want to make here is obviously the engineers that are behind these supercars and the formula 1 engines do they share their tech with the people making these punchy one-litre petrol engines in the A1. Um, and if people who um, are pro-German cars believe that's the case, then here's this counter-argument then. Therefore, the people that make the engine in the Nissan GTR and the, the, the new, you know, the fastest hatch, uh, you know, civilian hatchback, the Honda Civic Type R, mm. then therefore it's probably true for them that the engineers who, are, who built the Honda Type R also helped the same division that make the Honda Jazz, or the people that make the Nissan GTR also chipped in on the Nissan Note. Mm. Do you think it? You know, you can't. You've got to accept one or the other. You know, if 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 the German brand's motorsport affects the civilian passenger cars, therefore the Japanese must also be true. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I think. I mean, a lot of engines you can buy, though, are hand-built, which is a, a big reason people will buy them, because it's awesome. Another thing associated with quality and craftsmanship. But I've always been told when I was looking at saying, getting like an old A45 AMG, everyone's like, oh, it's hand-built engines, you'll yeah. be wary of that. Well, why? Because the reason that people would buy one brand new is because that's part of the reason, oh, it's a hand-built engine. You know, it's not just a production line. You know, it can't be a Friday afternoon car, that type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um Okay, the, the next point I want to cover with you, Chris, is the uh, German manufacturer's reputation with efficiency. Um, and by efficiency, I don't mean sort of like uh, miles per gallon and all the rest of it. I mean um, cars are mass-produced. The German better efficiency. the quality of the factory that produces them means that there are less faults in the car. 
Um, so, doing your research, where did the German car's uh, efficiency reputation come from? And is it real? Is it true? I think with the whole German efficiency thing, I think Germany just got there sooner than everybody else. Like, I think the war had a, a significant role in the expansions of like factories and things like that that allowed them to mass produce things much more efficiently. Like, every, like things were already in place, like lines were already built. Yeah. It was just a case of switching parts. I mean, wartime vehicles were still made. They just weren't passenger cars. Yeah. So there was investment from the government um, that after the war, there was just loads of extra stuff left behind. Yeah, it is well documented that uh, during the war, the, you know, the German army or the people that made the tanks were quite efficient. After the war, they just made cars afterwards. And so, so yeah, at, maybe at that time, they probably were the best because of that reason. And I think maybe in more modern days, Everyone else has just caught up with them, but their reputation is still with them now. Like in my eyes, it, like the most reliable nation, if I had to pull them all together, is probably Japan. Yeah. And if you look at the reliability index charts, like the top ten is almost exclusively Japanese. Yeah. So I think you know Germany took the lead, the Japanese caught up with them, and now the Japanese are you know pulling away from them a bit more. Well, and and the Koreans, I suppose, the you know the neighbours. Well, I think the number one spot for a long time has been taken by Lexus. Like every time you see uh, like an owner's survey, Lexus always comes out on top. Like people like this owners just love their cars. Yeah, I mean, the the Germans are quite standardised, which people perceive as a as a type of efficiency. Yeah, I mean. Even that the naming was ruthlessly German as well. Like, there's no time to spend on like making a creative name like like Ford, for example, like the Cougar, the, the Puma, or Seat, naming them after places in Spain. Yeah. Audi just went with the A1, A2, A3. BMW went with the one series, two series, three series. Mercedes went with A class, B class, C class. Yeah, it's almost quite um, sort of like if you were to like on paper, what sounds the most efficient or the best? The A1, or a car that's called something like the Fiesta, which is essentially like the word party, translated. Well, actually, uh, Volkswagen don't really uh, name their cars in the same way that Audi, BMW, Mercedes do. No, that's true. Um, I think their popularity has had a lot to do with people singing their praises as well. Like the, the Golf and the Polo, one of the best-selling cars over here. Uh, oh, some, some of the best-selling cars over yeah. here. Um, so there are a lot more people to sing its praises as I said but one of the most important factors is that there's the perceived quality of the Golf and the Polo just because it's German and it's like, well it's a bit of a snowball effect isn't it like um, uh, there, there are a lot of Volkswagen Golfs on the road so people assume oh it must be good because there are so many of them people are buying them yeah yeah and the, well one of the biggest examples is the saloon market not every manufacturer even has a saloon and uh, when the cost reaches a certain level, people tend to then go for Germans instead. Mm. There's less competition. And in general, when people want a saloon, they can't afford a saloon, they automatically just probably just think A4, 3 Series, because w you know what else is already yeah. out there? They are just the cars that are being constantly put in front of them as well. And a lot of manufacturers don't even bother to sometimes even make a car to compete with them. A, a, one example I've got from the top of my head is, I know it's been re-released recently, the 508, um, but it's not always been around. That's true. And, um, you know, Kia Optima, for example, they've just started to enter the market properly. Nissan, I think, were considering making a saloon, but they realised that 
people just want things like Dukes, Qashqai's, so they double down on the Qashqai. Yeah, and now that uh, the German brands are making smaller cars, I think they're feeding off the reputation of the larger models and applying the same amount, but it doesn't fly past a lot of people. And one of the examples I've got for this is, in general, when we um, post a deal on the A-Class, um, a lot of the comments are, oh yeah, but it's... Um, it's a Nissan underneath. Is it Nissan? Oh, a Nissan, a Renault engine. I think they had both. Yeah, so the um, the lesser engines of an A-Class actually uses Japanese engines underneath. And instantly they jump on and say, you know, the A-Class in particular isn't as good as the rest of the German brands because it's got a Japanese engine underneath. And people don't want that. Mm, I think some people are of the opinion like, oh, yeah, that's the heart of the car. That You know, that's, that's why you're paying so much money. But then... I've sat in the new A-Class, it's very nice. Mm. I, I could live with it being like a, a non-German engine. Well, but if I refer back to the point I made earlier about the reliability index, and actually those Nissan engines are, have been scored more reliable... Than most of the German brands. But yeah. people don't want to hear that, do they? No. People want to buy a German badge, and they are outraged if they hear that it isn't a German engine underneath. Mm. Therefore, not getting an engine that's gone through the tried and tested German, um, you know, factories at the end of it, um, and therefore it, you know, impairs their experience of having a true German car. It's definitely part of the experience, but at the end of the day, like reliability is quite a big important factor for people buying a car, or certainly yeah. one they want to live with for a long time, um, rather than just sort of finance. So. Mm. Look at Toyota, for example. They've got a reputation for being completely bomb-proof, but the materials used around the cabin feel a little bit brittle and flimsy to the touch, which has quite a big effect on whether someone's actually going to make the purchase. Like if you're at a dealership experiencing different cars, thinking, oh, that's nice sitting, this golf's nice and comfy. All the things you feel make you fall in love with the car a little bit easier. Like everything's nicely damped, the controls feel of a certain quality, whereas in, that's in a German car, whereas in a Japanese car, it's just a little bit more utilitarian. So unless you're quite disciplined on what you want before you go to the dealership, it's quite easy to be allured into a German car. Yeah, and you, your quote that you've put into the blog post here is an interesting one. Perceived quality doesn't always equate to real quality. And one of the points I was thinking about when I was doing the research ahead of this podcast was um, German cars' price points usually um, start higher than the mid-range and the bottom of the range. Except for maybe Skoda, oh, well, they're technically not a German car. Actually, I'll leave the Skoda thing for now because I know we're going to talk about stuff like that later. But let's stick to the ones that people definitely know are German, Volkswagen and all the rest of it. But, um, so when you enter into a one series, um, it, it is more luxurious than a lot of people in the segment, but it is at the higher end. But if you were to get, and this relates to the, uh, the previous podcast when I talked about trims, if you were to get a one series competitor, say, is it, would you compare it to a, fo- a Focus? Yeah. Say that you try and get um, a high spec Focus that matches the same price point as an SE one series. I've I, I have sat in both, and they feel the same amount of quality. So I think uh, the price point plays a part when people are so think about German cars. It's immediately somewhat expensive, but when you buy an expensive car, you should be getting quality. Yeah. But when you buy an expensive competitor that isn't a German car, you will get more or less the same quality. An engine that is more or less 
just as reliable and economical. Again, I relate back to the reliability index. So, I mean, we've been talking about are German cars always the best for quite a while, and obviously we haven't actually come to a conclusion, but maybe this is somewhat of my opinion of what a conclusion is, is that I think that the perceived quality is pretty much plays a massive part in whether they're the best or not. I don't necessarily think they are outright and always automatically the best. I think if you were to get uh, uh, an equivalent German car next to a non-equivalent, same price point, I think you'll more or less get the same thing. And if you were to believe the reliability index, you may get a better car that isn't a German. I would uh, wager that people who listen to this who drive Toyotas, uh, maybe the new Corolla, um, you know, the top-level Corolla, and you then sit into an equivalent price point BMW 1 Series, I think you'll get more or less the same car. Arguably, the Toyota may come out on top because of the reliability. And the extra kit that you'll probably get as well. Yeah. I, and think, I think the gap has been closed quite... In the past sort of five years, certainly for me, the gap between uh, a German car and a non-German car is... is as smart as it's ever been but it's outweighed by different things like if you buy a Korean car you'll get more tech if you buy uh, a Spanish car well I say Spanish car it's always set out really, isn't it yeah. um, you'll get nice body styling quite sporty things like that you get Apple CarPlay but if you buy a German car you get nice materials like yeah. the things that you could, could argue really matter whereas kit you don't always use all the bells and whistles Yeah. so there's different trade-offs really is what I'm trying to say in my opinion German cars are, are not necessarily the best outright just because they're German. Yeah. I think uh, there was merit for that when you talk about like the wartime engineering and stuff like that. And I think at, at certain points in history, they probably were the best. But as of today, I do not think that they're the best automatically. They are just expensive and you do get what you pay for. Because the, another example, uh, the BMW 5 series is expensive yes it is the, a really good car because you, you are paying top dollar so you absolutely should be getting a great car instead but the 5 series doesn't have many competitors, competitors that aren't German that's true and I think a lot of manufacturers don't try to enter a German dominated sector because they are well aware of the stereotype and people won't want to buy the competitor because they think that it can't be as good as the 5 Series. An example is the Optima. That is a fairly uh, new attempt by the Koreans to enter that market. Mm. You know, it's not flooding the roads at the moment. I'm not seeing a load of them. And I don't think it's because it's a poor car. I think it's just because people are like, well, if I can afford, you know, I can afford either an Optima or a, a 5 Series or a 3 Series or whatever, I'm just going to get that because I know it's going to be good because there's loads of them on the road. Yeah. There's no and, uncertainty as well. Yeah. Most people, if, you, if you're choosing uh, between rivals and stuff, chances are you'll never gone with one of the brands you're considering before. Yeah. So like, people like what they know, and they know for a long time that German saloons are the best. Yeah. And, okay, so I've just, you know, proved, you know, not proved, actually, at all. I'm, it's, it's not proof. It's just my opinion. But um, I've played on the fact that the German stereotype drives sales and why people think that they are the best. So I want to try and break this down now, Chris, and talk to you a little bit about one of the biggest points towards German. Uh, we're talking about efficiency, but uh, the German engineering stereotype actually transcends, 
outside of the automotive industry as well. So let's start talking about the German engineering. So the Germans have reached a point where across the globe people just class their manufacturing ability as like synonymous with quality. But even like the advertising taglines we mentioned earlier before, they're all written in German despite being used for advertising in English-speaking countries. Like Vorsprung Dirt Technique, you'll see it on billboards in America, England, as well as Germany. Mm. Um, whereas Japanese manufacturers is more sort of like emotion-based. Certainly a lot of um, Lexus adverts are like that. Yeah, Ford um, is the driver of your life, I think. Um, but if you look at the German slogans that we've got here, Vorsprung Dirt Technique for Audi. Uh, BMW is the ultimate driving machine. Mercedes-Benz is the best or nothing. Porsche, uh, there is no substitute. Volkswagen, Das Auto. It's almost like they've chosen those phrases on purpose to say, hey, just to remind you, that this car is German, German best. and brings with it everything that is associated with German that we've, we've cleared in quite a lot of detail so far. So German engineering is, is, in my opinion, another stereotype that they've clung on. And uh, you mentioned earlier about, um, obviously, starting with, with the war and stuff like that, where German engineering was possibly superior at the time. But I don't think it is superior anymore. I think the reason why it's perceived as superior is because there are so many German brands now, and they are typically more expensive, the likes of Porsche. Um, I think Lamborghini is actually German. German owned now, yeah. So I think because right at the top level is their supercars and people associate Germans making incredibly powerful and fast cars, therefore every car from Germany is equally, but but that's just not necessarily true. Um, Japanese make um, exceptionally efficient engines, but if you look at the reliability index, Japanese dominates it, but nobody has ever really uttered the phrase Japanese engineering or Japanese efficiency when perhaps they should. So I don't find it fair that Germany or German cars have such a positive uh, reputation when others around them are probably more efficient and uh, better engineered these days. In particular, I think Toyota is possibly the most efficient uh, and reliable manufacturer in the world at the moment. They are, uh, time and time again, uh, voted number one in terms of reliability. The customers are thrilled with the cars, and yet they still have to battle against German cars and seemingly can't do anything about it because the German stereotype has clung on and it's now uh, amplified by the customers themselves. And it's almost like their reputation is now ironic in in a way. Yeah, they are fantastic cars, but they are certainly not the most uh, efficient, reliable, and all those kind of words. What, what do you think? I feel like it can be used both ways now. If you had a, a sort of a dud German car, like if, if your BMW had a dodgy engine, you'd, you'd sort of use the term German engineering to mock it in a way. Whereas normally you'd have it like, oh, yeah, German engineering, that's why I'm going to buy this car. It's great, well made. But then suddenly it's it's a credibility thing, isn't it? Yeah. So I'm I'm feel like I'm delving into a little bit of German car bashing here, and absolutely I'm not doing that. All I'm trying to do is somewhat uh, level the playing field and say that you know the German cars are great, but there are other manufacturers just as good as them, but they just don't have a stereotype to help them out. And the next point I want to make, Chris, that you've raised in the blog post, 
that many cars that are perceived to be German are not even German at all. They're not made in German. They are just using German blueprints. Um, do you want to get into this? Yeah, so I think the whole part sharing exercise between the Volkswagen and Audi group has brought prices down a lot for people, as well as increased margins in places, hmm. which is why like, we come across lots of discount on these kind of cars. Like Skoda, for instance, obviously they were Czech, weren't they? Uh, Romanian? Own? No, I don't think they were Romanian. They may have been Czech, actually. Well, we'll have to check after the podcast. Czech. Um, yeah, so they, they um, had a horrible reputation in like the 90s and things like that. They were a bit of a laughing stock, actually. Yeah, but yeah they were. But now they've completely turned it around since they've been under like, German ownership. Uh, Seat have also improved considerably as well. Um, but the group itself isn't just Volkswagen Audi Group, Seat and Skoda. They own Lowe's, they own Bentley, which is a surprising one. And Bentleys are made in Britain mm. by, by British engineers. Lamborghini that we mentioned before. Uh, Bugatti as well. Uh, Ducati as well, they do motorbikes and things like that. Scania and Man Trucks as well are also German owned. Yeah, um, Seat uh, was originally a Spanish car. Um, a lot, most Seats are now still made in Spain by Spanish workers. Um, and now a lot of Audi's models have been moved over to Spain to be built. I think the Q2 is made in Spain by Spanish engineers. Obviously, the designs are German. So when people think to themselves now uh, about German efficiency uh, and all the rest of it, what exactly do they mean? So if the plans are German, but they are made in Spain by Spanish people, is that enough for it to be German? Uh, Skoda, I don't, for example, the same. Uh, yeah, it's um, they share a lot of the parts with Germany. Uh, sorry, with uh, Volkswagen and Audi, but. It, what exactly does it need to be to be a German car? Does it need German blueprints be made in a German factory by German people or, or, or what? Personally, I think it's the parts. I think just by using uh, sort of Volkswagen and Audi Group parts, Skoda have managed to absorb some of their reputation into their own brand because I think it's reputation that's been mended for Skoda and that has... You know, improve their brand immensely. Mm. And uh, a point that I also want to raise is sometimes the stereotype for German cars and the positive uh, sort of attitude towards the brand is so strong that many people will ignore some bad things they've done. And the, the, I think, I don't know if a lot of people know what I'm about to say here, but the Volkswagen Golf emission scandal was essentially that brand was um, lying about how efficient their cars are to try and, you know, reduce the cost and, and so on. Um, that was pretty big for a day, but it blew over, did nothing for the golf's reputation. Nobody really questioned, oh, well, if they're willing to do that, what else are they willing to do? Uh, and it's business as usual, and I feel like it's the German stereotype that got them through that, and people were so blinded that they no, nothing changed, mm. nothing at all. Still one of the best-selling cars here, isn't it? Yeah, it's almost like, well, you know, I, I still want to go off. I know they've, they've they've wronged me a little bit, but I'm still gonna gonna stick with them. Mm. Well, you just got to go off, haven't you? Yes, and it's a, it's a great car. <laughs> really it is a great car, but it was not affected because it's a petrol. Um, obviously, it, it was Hosted diesel. WLTP as well, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Just going back to what you've mentioned about stereotypes before, people draw stereotypes from pretty much anything, but with certain brands, is like the other remark that just sticks. I think it's more so with German cars as well. My BMW drivers not using their indicators. Mm. Audi drivers tailgating people. 
um, like performance golf, like golf GTI owners, golf owners, just weaving in and out of traffic. And I have seen that myself. Yep. Although, to be fair, no, I can't even say I was looking out for it because when you see something so erratic, you know, yeah. I suppose I'm just adding to the stereotype there. Um, thing is, they can be made sort of remarks of anyone. It's just now the stereotypes out there, people will start to look out for them. Mistake, mistakes happen, but it doesn't sort of mean cause and effect that all oh, that Audi driver is going to tell tip hit people. Uh, it's just down to the individual, isn't it, really? Yeah, and <clears throat> at the end of the day, it's not the car make performing those actions; it's the drivers. So that same driver could sell that Audi, get a Vauxhall, but the person doesn't change, and he's likely to just do it, or her, or them, they are probably just going to just do it again in the in the in the other car. Yeah. It's just so happened to be, like I've mentioned the cost of German cars and they're higher than most mid-range. I think it's more to do with the people from that sort of demographic and yeah. that sort of... Um, but also, I think people look for it. I think people on the road um, see someone in an Audi not indicating and it instantly reinforces the stereotype that they know. When reality, if you were on the road, you would see people of all manufacturers sometimes not use their indicators weaving in and out, but because there is a pre-existing stereotype, it's almost like confirmation bias. Yeah. They're aware that uh, they have a reputation, so when they see it, it's confirming that that reputation exists when that's not really fair at all. I have seen people in Fords, Vauxhalls, Peugeot, Citroëns, all do the same thing, but there isn't a stereotype about them, so they just they, it just doesn't stick in their memory. And I think that's quite harsh on German car owners, um, I don't think they, they like the fact that there is a stereotype of them. And I bet if we surveyed a lot of these uh, German car owners, they would all say the same. Like, do you use your indicator? Yeah, yeah, I do. But I do see some people not use it. And I'm like, oh, you're letting the team down. Yeah. So, you know, I'm just saying what I said earlier. It's the people that drive the cars that commit those sorts of offences, not the car itself. Furthermore, to reinforce the stereotype, I think jealousy comes out of it. I think people who want a German car... But can't afford it or don't you know or don't have one want to try and maybe they feel a little bit bitter and jealous and want to take uh, those drivers down a bit just to make themselves feel better mm. so if they say well you know I don't have a German car but I wouldn't want to because they behave like this but that's just not true is it it's it's there, there's an element of bitterness and jealousy um, and bringing them down makes them feel better and as well as, um, I think the stereotype just isn't actually true. I think there's confirmation bias. Yeah, I think that is a very real thing. Another stereotype that we want to look at is um, German cars and reliability. It's a tricky one, that, because if you were to read what cars survey, they would say, no, they're not really that reliable. It's the mechanical stuff that the Germans tend to get right, but the majority of reliability issues that get reported is to do with like, electrical components. I think that is a reputation that I've, I've heard quite a lot of. And uh, due to the high price tag of German cars, if something does go wrong, chances are it's going to be expensive to replace. Yep. And I say if something does go wrong, though. Uh, obviously, not all built the same. But as for what the general public actually experiences, according to the What Car Reliability Survey, uh, the 2018 one that was, the most reliable brand you could buy, none of the German cars were really mentioned until 16th place, which was BMW, followed by Volkswagen at 17th, Audi at 20th, and Mercedes Benz at 26th. So fairly far down. Uh, but there's two A's, though. A German cars not reliable, or are they marked down because like the owners of expensive German cars are more likely to complain about paying out and yeah. then receiving a lesser product. I think it's a bit of a mix, 
But I do, uh, I've mentioned it before, the German car's price point is higher than most manufacturers. And if you do look at the reliability index towards the top, I wouldn't call them budget brands at the top, but they certainly have much cheaper entry-level vehicles. For example, um, Toyota's right up there, Daihatsu's right up there, Nissan, Ford, no, Ford's mid-ranging mid it. Mm. But if you were to buy um, a relatively inexpensive car, um, it doesn't have many complicated moving parts in it for it to break down. For example, if you were to look inside of a Toyota um, Igo, C1, um, what's the other one, uh, Peugeot 108, mm. it doesn't have a complicated electrical system, and it's a very uncomplicated one-litre engine, which is unlikely to, to let you down because it, there's not as many complicated parts. But if you have a big... A German car with a massive turbo four-wheel drive, uh, an unrivaled infotainment system, I'm talking like an S-class mm. sort of calibre here, then there's more that can go wrong. Um, and because they've paid so much money to have the privilege of having such a great car, and uh, they are going to make use of that warranty. And it does obviously mark them down a little bit. Whereas I think... Um, the, the, the more budget brands, they can, they can let it go a bit more. Like if there's a mild scratching or a you know, bit of a banging or something not quite there, I think they're more likely to just leave it because they haven't given that much of a big commitment. Mm. But if you spend upwards of 60 grand on a car and there's something absolutely minor gone wrong with it... You want it sorted. That, then you want it sorted um, because it's the ultimate driving machine and it should work absolutely perfect. So I think customers uh, of German cars have high standards and are, they're, they're unforgiving and they will look for value for the money. And I think the people that do that also live that way in other areas of their lives. For example, um, if you have an expensive car, you've probably got an expensive house uh, and you're going to be meticulous about um, things going wrong in your house as well. Um, an example, obviously, Land Rover is one of the ones that people have uh, is usually towards the bottom of reliability, but they are really expensive cars, very complicated, uh, with features that budget cars just don't even have. Um, and it's unreasonable, I think, for most owners to have a car that absolutely nothing goes wrong. I think that would be unfair to expect a manufacturer to create a perfect yeah, car. You always experience something, whether it's from like your own accident that's led on to something else yeah. or, or whatever. It does happen. Plus, the German brands pride themselves on offering great service anyway, and as part of that service, they will help you, uh, you know, make sure that you enjoy the car to its fullest extent. So, towards the beginning of the podcast, I found myself, it almost sounded like I was bashing German cars a little bit, and I, and I don't think I was, I was just trying to balance a le level playing field, and this is one of the uh, parts where I really am defending the German cars. Because if you were to look at most models, if not all of them, that get reviewed from the likes of Carwell, ourselves, uh, what car, they tend to always have good marks because they've made a very good car. And I think if the stereotype of, um, well, sorry, if, if the reliability index was true, I don't think they would be uh, reviewed as well, especially yeah. from customers of their own vehicle. But at the same time, I do want to balance it. I'm not saying that German cars are actually the most reliable and completely contradicting these reliability indexes. All I'm saying is I feel like German cars are just as reliable as most manufacturers. But in general, I think Japanese cars probably pip them a little bit. Definitely. But 
I don't think that the Japanese cars give the same sort of experience of luxury, prestige and performance as BMW uh, do. So I think it balances out a bit for them to be quite evenly matched and you get what you pay for with a Japanese car and you get what you pay from a German car, but they are two completely different experiences. So to wrap this up, Chris, I'm just going to ask you one simple question. Are German cars the best? I think, in my opinion, I'd say yes, but mainly because a lot of the cars I'm interested in are German. So, of course, I'd be drawn to them. Um, yeah, I mean, today uh, we've just been talking uh, that the RS6 has been announced today, and we've looked at the specs inside and out, and we can't think of no. any car that touches it in that segment. Mm. I just wouldn't bother, sort of, I don't know. I think if my money, I probably would want it placed somewhere that I know will probably be good. You know what I mean? Everyone raves over like the new performance models, but it's unlikely that I'd just shell out 70 grand on a new RS6. But I wouldn't be looking at reliability surveys when I'm making that decision. Yeah. Um, to answer the question myself, um, I don't think German cars are automatically the best because of their stereotype in the past. But I do find that most more often than not, if you were to compare a German car with another one, it's extremely competitive. And very rarely will you find a comparison between a German car and someone else that the German car is clearly not at the same level or worse. It will very rarely be the worst option when you're shopping around for a car. I think if you're looking around for a saloon and you're considering the Insignia, the 3 Series, um, the Avensis, um, and, and all those cars similar, I think the German cars offer a very strong vehicle that more often than not, if the price point was exactly the same, you would probably pick the German because of the engine on the inside, which is typically quite powerful and economical. The interior is usually tried and tested and very German-esque, which some people like. I think it's a blend of comfort and technology, whereas Japanese are maybe more heavily on the... It's more on the unseen stuff, like reliability, you'll never have issues with it. Yeah. Then you'll never be looking, really. I think German cars are fantastic, but not automatically fantastic. I think German cars or German brands have to work extremely hard to make a great car, but they certainly, especially in 2019, still benefit from their stereotype, is what I mean. I feel like they are probably one of the best, but because of their stereotype, in most people's eyes, they are clearly the best is what I'm trying to say. So they're not just living off their reputation from the past. Yeah, what I'm trying to say is, um, I, like when I was shopping around and I ended up getting the Golf, I did test a few of the other competitors before I settled on the Golf. The Golf was better because it was just a better car, not because it was German or, or whatever. It was just simply the, the best option, in my opinion. And because they've got great residual values, um, and because they are so popular, typically you can get a Volkswagen with... Um, an unbelievably generous price point, especially when it's leased, because it holds its value quite well, partly because of the stereotype. So often the stereotype can play in your favour when you're looking for a, a cheap price. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, well, I think we've waffled for more than enough uh, on this podcast to do with German cars. We, we hope everyone's obviously enjoyed listening to our opinions, because just to remind you, it is clearly our opinion. We are not pro this or pro that. We've just done a bit of research and given us opinion, but we would love to hear what people of German cars think of their vehicle. Um, did they you know, buy it because of the stereotype? And we'd love to hear people who 
don't have a German car but have perhaps considered it and opted for something else instead who have either been um, happy with the decision or not. Um, so any sort of feedback possible, um, and, you know, we may do a follow-up one day based on, the, based on the results. We may do one of those studies that we do. Uh, but anyway, it's time for the usual uh, segment of, of the podcast where Chris is going to run down uh, the latest car leasing deals that you should pick up um, right now. Thank you very much for listening. Okay, so a bit of a German car special for this episode. Um, we've got the Mercedes CLA 180 AMG Line Premium Automatic for 266.99 a month. The Audi A4 35 TFSI S Line for 211 pounds a month. The Audi Q2, uh, it's a 30 TDI diesel one for the S Line version for 245 a month. And lastly, the Volkswagen Golf GTD DSG for £252 a month. So you can find all these deals in the show notes below, and you can find even more deals on All Car Leasing's special offers page, which I'll also leave a link to. But thanks once again for tuning in, and I'll see you in the next episode.